are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. Let me thank my media partner and sponsor first, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can catch it on podcast. We were on the air with Martha Parker, who is president of Emerge, a corporate wellness and management firm based in Houston, Texas. She technically supports customers by offering ergonomic assistance in design, redesign, and retrofit of new and existing office and industrial workspaces. We talked about her field of ergonomics, the four M's she addresses in the work she does, and how she works with her clients to improve the comfort and productivity of their work. I learned a ton from her. With us this week is Evan Robb, who is the principal of Johnson Williams Middle School in Berryville, Virginia. He is the author of the Principal's Leadership Sourcebook, Practices, Tools, and Strategies for Building a Thriving School Community, and also maintains a blog called The Robb Review Blog. He joins us today from Winchester, Virginia. Principal Robb, welcome to Working on Purpose. Elise, I am so excited to be here this evening. Um, please feel free to call me Evan. Okay, um, will do. Excited. Absolutely excited how we you know we connected through social media and so I'm excited to talk about how social media has been a tremendous influence on me and helped me further define what working to purpose working working for purpose means to me as a principal but also um, as a as a person. I love it. I absolutely love it, Evan. Um, yes, I'm tickled pink that we found each other on Twitter, and we also have a friend in common, um, Mary. What's Mary's last name? Doctor Mary Howard. Dr. Mary Howard, yes, give her a shout out to her. She's fantastic. So speaking of, of shout outs here, would you just give us a quick introduction of yourself and sketch your early career beginning as a teacher? I always like to give our listeners a little bit of context for who's speaking to them. I will do that. And, and you know, tonight what I'd like to do is kind of frame up. I'm hoping that uh, I'm sure some people may be interested in, in me talking from a principal's perspective, but I will try to broaden things and really uh, focus around leadership and uh, the choices that we make, uh, those of us who are in leadership positions, uh, to be a positive influence for people who are around us uh, and encourage people to be excited and committed and passionate about the work that they do. I started in education um, back in the very, very early 1990s, uh, and I started as a teacher. I actually started as a teacher in the school where I am currently principal, and I worked as an English teacher, a history teacher, a team leader, a department chair, and uh, and had a wonderful experience at Johnson Williams Middle School in the early to mid-1990s. And Clark is a small county, and so I needed to seek some opportunities elsewhere. And in 1998, I went to Warren County, which is a neighboring county to where I currently work. And I served as principal of a junior high school there through 2004. And at that time, I had an opportunity to apply and return back to Clark County. 
And in July 2004, I became principal of the building where I began my teaching career. And I have been principal there ever since. You know, one interesting little fact about the school where I'm principal of is my, the school where I'm principal of has only had two principals since 1996. And that is a very, very rare thing in our business. Um, certainly it's a business where um, a lot of turnover and people are not in jobs that that long. But I and uh, my predecessor have been able to have long careers in Clark County. We've enjoyed it very much. Mm, I can actually tell just listening to your voice, Evan, just listening yeah, to the way I, you I talk about it. absolutely love education. You know, and along the way, I've had some really exciting opportunities. Um, you know, I have had the opportunity to write a book. I've had opportunities to speak all across the country. I speak about goal setting and team building and leadership and, and again, the personal choices that we make in leadership positions to be a uh, positive influence for people about how to build commitment um, versus um, using positional authority for compliance, and also ultimately um, finding ways to adopt the growth mindset into what I do and, and the people that I work with. Um, but like many people who I'm sure have been on your show, I am very fortunate um, because I have had many people who have been an incredible influence to me along the way to help me um, as I have moved through my career. Um, my number one influence would be my mother, who I believe is listening tonight. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mom, she, who never gave up on me um, and always um, pushed me to, um, to be what she thought that, that I could be. And uh, because of her and many other people who I've known throughout my life, um, including my wife, and I would certainly uh, say something, give a shout-out to my wife, um, I've had a lot of great support along the way to uh, achieve the goals that I've wanted to achieve professionally. Mm. So important. It is so important to have that kind of support and, and cheer section. Um, but why education, Evan? You chose a career in education. Why that field and how did it come about? I took, a, um, I took an interesting route um, to my career in education. I think that when I was growing up, Lisa, spent, I spent a lot of time trying to resist that as my calling. Um, my mother had been a teacher um, and still mm-hmm. is. Uh, my father um, was a teacher and a college professor. And uh, when I went through college, I decided to go into business and actually went through a graduate program, an MBA program, thinking that I was going to pursue a career in business. And, and then decided, probably when I was just about done with that program, that that was not for me. Um, I was actually, I realized I had this sort of kismet moment that education is where I need to be and education is what I want to do. And I think one of the influences for me, although as I reflect on it, I don't think I, I knew it when I was in my graduate program, but in my graduate program, believe it or not, in the MBA program, I came into contact with several professors who were huge advocates, um, although they may not have known it, of the growth mindset. I encountered people who had incredible faith in me and encouraged me to be something that I may not have thought that I could be. Um, and I also encountered people who were very supportive of me choosing a different direction over business and actually choosing education. Hmm. So I made a decision back in the um, very, very early 1990s to pack up my MBA and pursue my teaching endorsement. And I've never looked back since then. Mm. Best decision, I, of course best decision I, I ever made. 
I love that. You know I have to ask those kind of questions because I've been researching how people discover a career and, and find meaning in it for years. So I couldn't resist. Fantastic response to I'm not surprised. There's such an element of passion in what you do. And the fact that you went from business and an MBA program to becoming an English and history teacher is fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting turn. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it proved, proved to be the best thing that I ever did. But I learned so much in my business program about really more about myself and about my mm. capabilities and, um, mm. and and realized, you know, ultimately, of course, that, that education was where I needed to be. And I've been there ever since. Well, I, I think that we all of your students can can thank you for that. Um, so I'm. I'm always curious when I think about you've clearly made an impact in your field, Evan. You clearly are. You're, you're blazing a trail. So I'm interested to understand what problems are you most interested in addressing in education today and why? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something I think about a lot and, and something that I work with my team on a lot. You know, one of the things, and, and this would apply just not, of course, to education, but to anyone who's in, in a leadership position, is I am a big believer in working with my team, and problem-solving together. I have uh, long since let go of the, uh, of the weight that I could carry on my shoulders of, of bearing responsibility for every single decision uh, that's made within an organization. Uh, and I know, I know, Elise, that you're interested in Strength Finder and, and helping people kind of focus in on their areas of strength and, yes. and how they can help build an effective team. And I've read that about you. Really interesting. And actually, we've, in my school, we've done the Strength Finder uh, assessment with our leadership team mm-hmm. to get a better understanding of our strengths and uh, what we each can bring to the table. So everything that I talk about is all because I have really great super people that work with me, and I have a lot of people that work with me who have skills that I do not have. Um, but I am fortunate to have them with me, and together we all make a fantastic team. But back to your question about the things that I really think about when I think about education today and the trends that are happening in education, there are a few things that come to my mind. Number one, I'm extremely interested in in equity and opportunity for students. Big disparities across our country between uh, areas that are wealthy and areas that are are not, and I am incredibly committed to trying to level that playing field for students because I am, have always been, such a believer that, that education is the pathway that helps students achieve any goals that they want as, as they head off into life. I'm also very passionate about technology, as you might know, because you know, we, we met through social media, which, of course, is, um, is a technology medium that's used a lot within schools also, um, but very interested in transformative technology. I talk about that a lot with my staff, and, and we work on that a lot. Focusing on how technology in schools can transform the way that we do business. So thinking different, instead of thinking about inserting technology to take the place of something, as an example, there, there are lots of apps that allow a teacher to do a Jeopardy game or something like that within their classroom through technology, and it's no different than the same game that I had. Uh, but when I look at Google and Google platforms and I see how people can connect and access technology from anywhere in the world, I see that as incredibly transformative and something that I'm very, very passionate about. I do believe that in, in the day and age that we live in now, a great teacher will not be defined solely by their use of technology, but every great educator will effectively use technology. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting thing to think about. Um, and it, and it represents a, a big shift 
that, that's going on in our um, the business of education right now, and it's very, very exciting. I, I am also really, really interested in how to create environments that, that are creative and dynamic for students and staff, and, and looking at the environments that we that we have within schools differently. Um, a lot of and schools are no different than any other organizations. A lot of um, a lot of businesses and a lot of a lot of schools do things because it's the way that they've always done them. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is taking an honest look at the practices that we have um, within schools and looking at them honestly and asking some tough questions. Many of them absolutely are great and, and certainly worth carrying on. Uh, but I think there are other practices that, that exist within schools and organizations that need to be looked at, and, and maybe their time has come. I think that one of the things that I often talk to staff about is that um, we all carry sometimes a, a Linus's blanket if you're a fan of, of peanuts. <laughs> yeah. He would carry yeah. his, his blanket with him everywhere and never let go of it. Uh, but sometimes we, we do need to let go of those things. And when we let go of those things, I think we have a really – much better chance to find uh, the personal greatness that's inside of us. And I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I am incredibly interested in developing greatness in people around me uh, and, of course, providing opportunities for students. It just seeps through every tone of your voice, Evan, for sure. Um, there is so much... Yeah, there's so much you said there, but I just want to grab one thing really quick before I go on to the next thing I want to get from you, and that is you mentioned you know, giving up some of these these long-held practices. Can you give us maybe one example of a practice you think that really needs to be examined and considered to be let go of? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to make the first one really short, then the second one will be a little bit longer. Okay. I think extra credit is something that, that schools need to take a really good look at. Um, when my... My own children were in school. I, I remember that they could bring in lots of bo- boxes of tissues and, and get extra points added to their tests um, when they mm. could take a test. But um, the extra points that they would earn from bringing, bringing in tissues were not necessarily giving a good indication of their learning. And I think that's a practice that, that needs to be looked at. And I commend my staff. I'm so proud of my staff because we had tough conversations about that, and we have um, let go of that blanket uh, that that certainly some people have held over time. The other thing that I think needs to be looked at within education is grading. Uh, and, of course, you know, since you and I met on social media, I thought it would be really cool tonight if I talked about people that I've connected with through social media and how I've learned from them. I'm mm. kind of integrate into our conversation. So a couple people that I've learned a lot from on social media is Rick Wormelli Rick and Tom Gusky. Uh, they've done some amazing work on grading um, and really get people to think differently about grading and shake up the paradigm about grading. I think that grading in schools at times can become a chase for point accumulation, and, and sometimes students are more motivated to achieve points than they are to learn. And I think it's a really interesting conversation that schools can go through, which is uh, how do we make that shift? How do we encourage students who are who are so focused on the grade to take more risks than, than they're learning in a safe way. And that's a big conversation. I know it's more than the scope of our of our chat tonight, but certainly something that, that is very valuable to talk about, something I've been talking about with my staff for a long time. I mean, we're making good inroads in that. 
I really appreciate both of those points, Evan. Those are phenomenal, and I'm glad that I was that you were able to just kind of give us some particulars on you, how how you would think to change some of the status quo or long held traditions. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. And I also appreciate that you shared a couple of people that you learned from who you found on social media, because I know that's one of your big things is using technology and also using using social media to connect with students and, and, and parents. So what a gorgeous example. Um, we only have a couple of minutes before we need to go on, on our, our, our first break here, but I want to start with a little bit about this whole notion about your interest in promoting a growth mindset among both your students and, and also your faculty. Um, will you say a little bit about why that's important to you? How did you discover it? Why is it important to you? And we'll probably continue the conversation after the break, but at least start us off. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You know, to frame up for our, our listeners who may not know about that, there's, there's really three kinds of mindsets. Um, a fixed mindset is the mindset that most of most people grew up with when they when they went through education, and I certainly did, and I can speak more to that if we have some time a little bit later. Fixed mindset means I will make there's determinations made about what I can do and what I cannot do. Um, it typically surfaces in the surfaces in the area of mathematics, where you often hear kids or families say, "Well, you know, I can't do math. No one in my family could ever do math." Now, a growth mindset is based off of the work of Carol DeWick from Stanford, and it's fascinating. And it has to do with the mindset of, you know, I'm not good at math, but with a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of practice and with people that believe in me, I can do math. Now, the next level, which I find very interesting, is based off of the work of George Koros, who I also connected with through Twitter, Um, and that would be the innovator's mindset, which is an extension on the work of Carol DeWick, where, where you're saying, with practice, I can create. Mm. So a growth mindset would be, with practice, I can learn how to play the piano. Even though I'm not naturally good at the piano with lessons, I can, uh, I can stick to it and I can learn how to play the piano. And apply an innovator's mindset to that, you would say, not only can I learn how to play the piano with practice and, and support, but I can create music. Mm, that is gorgeous and a perfect way to cue us up for the break. So hold your thought for the next bit here. I want to dive more into that. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Evan Robb, who is the principal of Johnson Williams Middle School in Berryville, Virginia. He is the author of the Principal's Leadership Sourcebook, Practices, Tools, and Strategies for Building a Thriving School Community. He joins us today from Winchester, Virginia. We've been talking about his early career, why he got into education, what he sees needs to be changed. After the break, we'll dive more into the growth mindset and some other, other areas that he's working on with his students. Stay with us. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Principal Evan Robb of Johnson Williams Middle School. He speaks across the country on leadership and the effective principal, how to improve literacy in schools, the digital digital teams, and the impact of culture and positivity on work. He enjoys authoring his blog called The Rob Review Blog. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So just before the break, um, Principal Rob, I I know that you asked me to call you Evan, but I'll I'll go back and forth just for fun. Um, We were talking about the growth mindset, and you helped us understand the innovator's mindset. So I'm interested to understand what you think the role of efficacy and collective efficacy is in contributing to the innovator mindset or the growth mindset, either one. You know, I'm so excited about our conversation tonight, Elise, and and efficacy and collective efficacy, they they totally intertwine. Um, Growth mindset is the mindset that a student can have in a classroom if conditions are set up within the school for for that to happen. And part of the way that that happens has to do with the belief systems uh, that teachers have about students that that are in their classroom. Uh, But I would also say this totally connects to any organization where people want to optimize and get the absolute best out of, out of people. Efficacy is simply the belief that a person has that they can make a difference for someone else. In education, that means the faith of a teacher in the students that are before them. Collective efficacy is very powerful because that has to do with the, the vibe or the, the feeling within the entire organization and how the organization focuses and believes in the students that are there in the case of the school. A lot of this is based off of some really interesting research by John Hattie out of New Zealand uh, and also by Peter DeWitt, uh, both of who I've also connected with with on Twitter. Um, and uh, John Hattie's research would actually say that the number one thing that makes a, makes a real difference for students within a school is the efficacy that a teacher brings into the classroom when they work day in and day out with the students that, that are in front of them. It is an incredibly powerful thing, and it has a really strong effect because when teachers believe that they can make an impact on kids, it coincides beautifully with the growth mindset because people who have a fixed mindset do not believe that everyone can get it. Um, Fixed mindset would lead people to believe into the sorting and selecting uh, mechanisms that many of us experienced when we went through school. Um, whether it was the Bluebird group when you were a, a little kid in elementary school, and, which was the high reading group, or you were in the high or the low reading group, or when determinations were made when you were in high school about where you could go after high school. So 
So I'm a big champion, always been a big champion of um, bringing in people and making sure that we're developing people that have a high degree of personal efficacy when they work with kids. And I would say that when schools, and I think anyone who's listening to this who's a principal would agree with me, you know, when the question always comes up, you know, what do you look for when, when you're hiring teachers um, to come into a building? You know, well, you're looking for people that have content knowledge, that have great pedagogical skills, that have a growth mindset, that have a really, really high degree of efficacy, and also people that get what um, Eric Scheninger, who's another person I connected with through Twitter, would call the three R's of education, which is relationships, relationships, and relationships. <laughs> uh, and when those things are in place, magic can happen in a classroom. Oh my gosh, this is just brilliant to listen to you talk. This is right up my alley. All of, all of, no wonder we connected immediately as we did on Twitter. I just I get your vibe. I appreciate your perspective, your passion, and I'm aligned on these things. So one of the things that we talked about while we were on break is um, talking a little bit more about how what you've been talking about relates to some of these this limited perspective and belief that we have about math in this nation. Will you say a little bit more about that? I will. I think that you know, and this is, this is me talking from some of the things that I'm incredibly passionate about. I believe that algebra is a gateway course for students uh, and opens up opportunities not only for advanced math in high school, but there is certainly research uh, that points to students who successfully uh, take algebra in schools, uh, that they pursue higher-level mathematics and, and, in many cases, pursue education after high school. So I think it's, it's very important that schools make a commitment to helping students learn and master Algebra, um, but also all mathematics. But I could think of no other subject when, when I think about subjects that, that occur in school that are more entrenched in a fixed mindset than mathematics. There is not a year that goes by that I will not have a meeting with uh, a student or sometimes a parent or even sometimes a grandparent who will, uh, who will communicate that they've never been good at math, mm-hmm. that no one in their family is ever good at math, so certainly their children can't be good at math. And unfortunately, people who feel that way are products of going through schools that were very focused on a fixed mindset, where they were sorted and selected and and possibly not given the opportunities to learn how to develop skills and become become really good math students. And it's really sad, and it's something that, that, that I'm very, very determined to change. I absolutely believe that with the right teacher, the right relationships within the classroom with a high degree of efficacy, strong content knowledge, and a commitment to professional development and strong pedagogical skills, that magic can happen in the classroom. And absolutely, kids can learn mathematics, they can learn algebra, and they can learn above algebra. But I think it's critical that, that, that schools, and especially people that are in leadership positions, do not do not get entrenched in this mindset that students can or cannot do mathematics or, or any subject for that matter. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I certainly applaud that. I mean, as the person who's de- who's dedicated herself to basically helping people develop themselves in one form or the other, I am also in the general field of education. So, completely applaud what you're saying. And it also makes me now wonder. One of the one of the things that you mentioned on the phone when we spoke when we spoke at first was you referenced something about Simon Sinek's golden circle concept. I don't know how this relates to, or if it does relate to, the growth mindset. But I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. The uh, if there's one video that I could recommend anyone who's listening to us tonight, or anyone who 
listens to this at some later date, is take a look at Simon Sinek's video called The Golden Circle. It is probably the most powerful YouTube video that I have ever watched, and I have shared it many times with, with staff in our building and used it as a springboard for wonderful, wonderful conversations. And I can give a very simplistic overview of it, but I don't want to take away from people that I would really encourage to watch that video. So he draws three concentric circles, and basically what he says on the outside is that uh, people are not inspired by what you do, and they are not inspired in the second circle by how you do it. People are inspired by why you do things. Ah, uh, yes. Power, the power is when your words are congruent with your actions, and what a really, really interesting concept. So within the classroom and education, so I can, I'll move this into a middle school zone, and say, uh, you know, there have been times over the years when, when, when friends of mine may have hired someone who has very, very strong credentials. Let's say that they have uh, an Ivy League degree. Uh, they're very, 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 very strong content knowledge. But they don't connect well with kids. And you and I know, at least, because we're, we're in this business, that if you can't connect with 12- and 13-year-olds and you're a middle school teacher, they, they don't care that you have a degree from a very, very fancy <laughs> university. That's right. Exactly. Uh, but where the magic occurs is when the students understand the why. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about. We're talking about efficacy. You know, efficacy is this belief that, that I, as a principal or I, as a teacher, believe that I have the skills and I will continue to develop the skills to make you successful. The why component comes in when kids get me and they understand and they believe that I am the vehicle that can help them achieve their goals. There's a really, really interesting duality there. So it's not just my personal belief and how I communicate my personal belief, but it's also the student understanding me and believing that I can be that person that can help them get it. You know, even though they, never learned, they were never able to do math before, I can be the person that can help them learn math. And it all comes back to getting that good understanding of what your why is and communicating your why. And I would say for people in leadership positions, and again, I've read a lot of, a lot of your stuff, so I feel like I'm saying things that I know you believe in. It is very important to know your why, and it's equally important to communicate it and to yes. communicate it over and over again. I completely agree. Nauseam. I, I will say nauseam. two things. Two things to that, if I can, Evan. First, I literally just came back from a very, very large breakthrough project where uh, a, the leadership team hadn't well articulated the why of this really enormous global project that they were enrolling literally almost 100 people in to do. And no surprise, there was a big dull thud, right? But once they got them back on track with the why, everybody was totally enrolled. But you took some work, right, to get everything back on course. But if they had said that why up front in a convincing, clear, compelling way, we wouldn't have had that hiccup. But So that's one thing I'll say. The other thing that I'll say about the whole why thing, and I do know Simon Sinek's work, I completely had forgotten the notion of just that golden circle, but the why piece registered when I teach my students at Southern Methodist University how to get and keep their first job, one of the things that I have them do, of course, is to create a little bit of an elevator pitch. And they have to have the why statement in there really compellingly 
situated. And, and that's the great fun, right? When these kids can articulate why they're on fire to go off and do something. I'm like, that's how people are going to get enrolled. So I completely get that and appreciate how you connected those concepts back to efficacy and the innovation mindset, the growth mindset. That was, that was alluring, shall we say, for me. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think that um, it, it is, it is, it's, it's a wonderful thing when, when you figure out what, what, no matter what position that, that you occupy within your life, why you're interested in doing it. You know, where does your passion come from? Mm-hmm. And when that happens, people will be drawn to you, and they'll be drawn to you for the right reasons. You know, one of the challenges in leadership positions is sometimes people try to build alliances by compromising what they believe in. And that may build a temporary alliance, but, but it's not good and, it, and it's not healthy. You know, the best, the best alliances uh, and the best team building uh, to bring into an organization is to have people that have an incredibly high degree of alignment uh, to what you believe in, to what you believe in. And, and you know, what I, I always like to tell people, you're positive, and this is so simple, but positive people always attract positive people. Negative people tend to attract negative people. And most interestingly, negative people who wonder why they only attract negative people, they probably need to take a look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, just not quite aware. A very interesting concept, you know, but I believe that, and I, I spoke in the beginning that, you know, I'm really interested in helping kids and everyone that works around me find uh, whatever the personal greatness that's inside of them. Um, but to do that, you need to understand your why. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand your why, you're never going to find that because that's going to be your source of personal inspiration and that's going to be how you inspire other people. Completely agree. And then maybe on the other side of that camp, I'd, I'd like to talk about two th- areas around the education and workspace that I think are really compelling and, and interesting topics today. Um, one is about critical thinking and the other one is about creativity. Uh, so I'm interested in your perspective, Evan, on how students today are learning to think critically and what are you doing to help contribute to that learning? That's a fantastic question. You know, and I would probably bring it bring it all the way back to some personal experiences that I, that I had. But I would I would venture that there were people listening right now, or people who will listen, that will relate exactly to what I said. To what I say, I would say critical thinking is is one of the most important things that we can bring into schools all across of all across America, because public schools and private schools need to start thinking about the skills that students need to have when they graduate school to get ready for for work and beyond. But I was a product of mechanistic teaching. So I'll give you a simple example, but I bet people can relate to this example. When I was in high school, I remember thinking I was a fantastic student of history, and I had this history class that was incredibly structured. We would come in and take notes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We would play a review game on Thursday, and we would take a multiple-choice test of facts every Friday. And I did very well. And I also thought I was a great history student. Possibly I had some sort of career being um, connected to history. (laughs) But but what I learned was all that I was good at was regurgitating knowledge. I wasn't necessarily good good thinking about history. And so the interesting thing when we think about public schools nowadays is everything that I use to judge myself, every factoid uh, about history and how uh, whatever I memorized to make high grades on my tests when I was in high school, I can access every single one of them on my iPhone. 
which is sitting right in front of me. Every single one. <laughs> but my iPhone will not tell me how to make an emotional connection to history. It won't tell me how to think uh, and conceptualize events that occurred in history and possibly how they relate to me personally or how they relate to the world around me. Uh, those kind of skills involve critical thinking. And it involves a big shift within classrooms from public schools probably all the way up through, through your end you know, at, at the university level. And how we go about getting kids to, to, think, to think differently. I would say that what's most important is that staff need to start learning to do things differently, and they need to be willing to invest in ongoing professional development that enhances their skills to change the way that they do things. One of the things that I like to tell my staff, and I push it out on Twitter a lot, is in education today, we need to teach students for their future, not our past. Oh, great. It's an interesting concept, and yes, and it has a lot to do with, with mindset, because people that have a fixed mindset might say, well, it was good enough for me. Why wouldn't it be good enough for you? But people who have a growth mindset would say, the world is a lot different now than when I experienced school, so I need to think differently about what I do because my job is to prepare children for a world that I don't necessarily even know what it's going to look like. You know, public oh. education, all, public educators all over America are preparing students for jobs that didn't exist five years ago. That is a great ago. point. That is a great point. Perfect one. Let's let's hold that for a second. Time for another short break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Evan Robb, who is a principal, who is the principal of Johnson Williams Middle School in Berryville, Virginia. He is the author of the Principal's Leadership Sourcebook: Practices, Tools, and Strategies for Building a Thriving School Community. He joins us today from Winchester, Virginia. After the break, we'll talk more about the idea of creativity as well as many other new trends happening in education today. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Look 
been inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Principal Evan Robb of Johnson Williams Middle School. He speaks across the country on leadership and the effective principal, how to improve literacy in schools, the digital principal, social media, how to involve all staff in goal setting, how to organize effective work teams, and the impact of culture and positivity on work. He also enjoys authoring his blog called The The Rob Review Blog. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, um, Evan, just before the break, we, we were talking, of course, about critical thinking and the importance of being able to develop that in students today. And then you mentioned while we were off on, on the break together how that might relate to grading. Will you say more about that? I, I certainly will. I pre- appreciate you bringing that, bringing that to the forefront here. I have learned a tremendous amount of grading and had the opportunity to work with, with, with our staff um, for several years to think differently about the way that we grade in schools. And a lot of what I have learned has been based off of research by Rick Wormelli and, and Tom Gusky. My goal is to get people to think differently. So what I would say is that most people that are listening tonight, at some time or another when they were in school, dealt with the average. And um, in terms of all the grades that they received across a nine-week grading period, for example, and how they were averaged together to be a descriptor of what they learned. So I'll pose a really simple question for people, and hopefully some people can take this and bring it back to their buildings, or parents can consider this as they have conversations also with teachers as they think about grading. So here's a really, really simple example. Let's say that we are all going to work on our running skills, and we practice running on the track. So the first time we go out to the track, we run the, run the mile in 12 minutes, and we practice, 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 and the next time we run it in 10 minutes, the next time we run it in 8 minutes, and finally, after lots of practice and some good coaching along the way, we run the mile in 6 minutes. Mm, wow. So my, my question, at least, to people would be, how fast do you run the mile? And most people, when they're given that question will say, well, I, I guess you run the mile in six minutes because you started at 12 and you went 12, 10, 8, and 6. But if you're using the average, you would average all of those times together and say eight minutes. But eight minutes is not a descriptor of how fast you can actually run the mile. So think about that in terms of a classroom and, and things such as mastery learning and us wanting to make sure that the grades that we give students in our schools are representative of their knowledge. So go along the same example uh, of the uh, 
mile times that I give and consider a student who made some very poor grades in the beginning of nine weeks but had lots of intervention and lots of support. And lo and behold, at the end of the nine weeks, they take their final assessment and they make an A. And the A is representative of everything that they have learned over the course of that nine weeks. Should what they make in the beginning of the nine weeks be averaged to and held against them? Mm. And if it was, would that paint an accurate picture of what they really know? And would it incentivize them to continue learning and develop that growth and in, in, in innovative mindset? I think that that's a brilliant comment, Elise, because I would say, and, and this would certainly coincide with the work of Rick Romelli, that the most important thing that we can bring for kids in schools all across America, but also you as a college professor, is hope. And if you take away hope, kids don't try. And if you take right. away hope, I don't try either. Right. It's a very, very important thing to have in schools. And, uh, but I believe that if we think a little bit differently about how we do things, we can find more opportunities to give kids hope and more opportunities for kids to be successful. Because I would say a lot of what we do with grading all across the United States of America is simply based off of the grading that we experienced when we were in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's, that, 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 it's, that it's good. It certainly means that there's an opportunity to have some conversations about it. And those are courageous conversations, but those are conversations that are very important for people in leadership positions to have as we look to do the best we can for students all across the country. Mm, great conversation. Just the, the depth that I was hoping were to get from you. Thank you. Well, the other thing that you talked about that I already queued up with you as well that I definitely want to address here is this notion of creativity. You talked about thinking differently and certainly in the work that we do in Asignium, which is so much around performance breakthrough, organizational transformation, a lot of what we're really getting at is helping people, people to think and act differently. So first, would you just say a little bit about what's your perspective on how is creativity encouraged at school and how do you cultivate it? I, cultivating it is a really interesting question. I think I'll start there and say, and this goes, this, this goes for anything, whether it's education or, or any business. It's cultivated by building trust and relationships with the people that you work with within your organization. People will not be comfortable to stretch outside of their box and try new things if they don't feel trusted. And if trust doesn't exist and if those relationships are there, people simply won't take chances. They'll they'll hunker down. So it's incumbent on the leadership within an organization to not only model creativity, and celebrate creativity and expose people to professional development on creativity, but to communicate the importance of it and establish trust and relationships with staff to try things. Because when people try things, sometimes their fear is that they won't do it well. And there's a leadership opportunity for administrators to set the stage that it's okay. And we're all not going to be perfect on things when we first try things. Uh, but if we, tro- if we don't try things, we're never going to be good at, at doing something different. I think that schools need to take a really good look at the time that they have within their school day and, and the things that they do to cultivate creativity. I would encourage people that are listening tonight to check out A.J. Giuliani's blog or connect with A.J. on Twitter. He has some fascinating stuff on a thing called Genius Hour. Um, which is very similar to something that grew out of the Google organization where people were given uh, 20% of their time to work on innovation and creativity within, the, within, within Google. 
Yes. Common Genius Hour is all based about around people, uh, or students rather, exploring things that they're particularly interested in and delving deeper into them in a very different kind of way. Wow, I, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that some of these concepts that that are working well in the in the world of business, like what you mentioned at Google, are being are being considered and brought into the classroom. That is incredibly exciting to me. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. You, you know, I didn't outside of the scope of our conversation tonight, but years ago, um, I have and I still continue to have a really strong interest in total quality management and the work of Edward Deming. I'm sure you're familiar with that with your business background. Yes. And, uh, you know, Deming was a big proponent of something called the 85-15 model, which is 85% of the problems that exist within any organization have to do with the system. Uh, they're typically not people-related. Um, and so we need to look at how we design the systems, in this case, how we design schools, to set up opportunities for people to do things differently, to think differently, and to create exciting opportunities for kids that, that are different. Mm. Mm. Oh, my gosh. It's just too bad I only have you for an hour because I could. I, there's much more I want to talk with you about. We're getting close to the end here. I, I definitely want to hit this next thing that's very much on the forefront of my mind here, Evan, and that is that I read in the Wall Street Journal that um, schools are returning to the idea of recess. Now, as somebody who is very interested in physical fitness and certainly we have a problem with obesity in this in this nation, I'm really curious about what's driving this need, this this idea to return to recess. I know I knew I've got a 14 year old daughter, and of course I know there's been an emphasis on having more time for testing and more time for learning, more time in the classroom. So, why the shift? Well, yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, sometimes when, and this goes true for, this is true for any business, whether it's education or, or the business world, um, when people are questioned about having to do more, to, to do something a little bit different, the response is often to uh, have more time. So, well, if I could, I could do that, but I would need more time to do that. But the other way to look at it is, you know, would be, is the time that you are using the most effective way to use your time, and can you use time differently? And I think in terms of fitness and, and kids working on, on having some breaks within their school day, that's a really interesting um, way to think about schools. And again, I would come back to, again, a lot of what we do within schools across America, we, we do because we've always done them. Um, I would you know, love to know why most schools in America seem to have four minutes in between every class. I'm guessing that a long time ago someone decided that that was a good thing to do, and most schools in America have four minutes in between classes. But to my knowledge, there's no research that four minutes is any better than three and a half or or five. Um, But again, we do it because we've always done it that way. There are schools across the world that look differently at integrating physical breaks for kids, and I would point people to take a look at what's happening in Finland. Um, Finland, for several years, has been uh, a big proponent of students having more physical activity during their school day. Um, yes. And I believe Finland and also some research through uh, on brain breaks, uh, where kids have breaks from their academic day during the school. Our research shows it improves cognitive skills, it improves perseverance and grit with students. Uh, it's an opportunity to develop social and emotional growth uh, as kids um, move through adolescence. One of the things that that I would say is that I would always encourage 
any administrator to take a day and shadow a student and see what it's like to go through a school day from 8 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon. And what I would venture to guess is that if your school has a very engaging environment where kids are moving around and they're learning and they're working in groups and they have cooperative opportunities, probably could be a pretty invigorating day. But if it is a day similar to the days that I experienced for many, many years when I was in middle school and high school, it could be rather tedious um, because sitting through a day of lecture and sitting and taking notes one block after the other is very, very hard to do. Uh, certainly hard for me to do as a 51-year-old ma'am, uh, and extremely hard to do for a 12-year-old who has a lot of energy. So I think that we need, again, to continue to look at, uh, at our day, you know, at, at the way instruction is, is um, delivered within our schools. And, of course, as you can tell, I'm a proponent for uh, instruction that is, that is engaging for students. And also taking a look at the time that we have within the school day and looking at some opportunities to do things a little bit different. And again, that, that means shaking up that box a little bit because it is very easy within education but within any business to be tied down to one way of doing things. But when you really, really dig into that bag, you realize that there may not really be any reason that reason other than you've always done it that way. Oh, my gosh. Well, and so when I think about just last week when I was on the air with Martha Parker, she was talking about ergonomics and her four M's. One of those M's she talks about is is engineering mini breaks in our work schedules. And, of course, that applies to school as well. And just the importance of being able to infuse that change of, of focus and having and certainly having the, the physical piece integrated into that as well and just how important that is for Sanity for peace for productivity. She talked about as well, so it fits right into what you're talking about too. A- absolutely, it does. You know, I again, I, what I would always encourage is uh, don't. I guess I want to make sure I'm articulating this right. It is always good to look at how we do things and reflect on uh, our practices and see if there's a different way to do things. I would encourage, and I'm looking forward to uh, myself this fall, to follow the student all the way through a school day and being able to debrief and share some really honest reflections with with our staff about that um, as we continue on our journey to reevaluate some things that we're doing. Oh, gosh, I've gotten so much out of this conversation, and we are officially out of time. So let me thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your wisdom, your passion, your perspective. You gave us so many helpful ideas and different people who have contributed to your learning. Thank you so much for being with us. It has absolutely been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on your show. If you want to learn more about Principal Evan Robb and the work he's doing in education, I would encourage you to visit his blog, which is therobreviewblog.com. So that's, you know, the, and Rob is with two Bs, reviewblog.com. Join us next week when we talk with Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who has a most remarkable story of service and survival while serving in the Air Force and is now on a mission to help people embrace their own adversity and serve others to find purpose in their life. He actually is both quadriplegic and an amputee and has much to share. Also is the single father of three boys. Incredible man to talk to be able to share a perspective about adversity. So see you then. Remember that work is one third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. We'll be right back.